0: Hey, everyone, welcome to the show today. And I'm so excited about the topic that we're going to be covering because if you know one thing about me, it's that I absolutely hate bureaucracy. Why did we ever think we needed to create all this red tape to get anything done in the world? Well, today's guest is the co-author of a book called Hack Your Bureaucracy. Get things done no matter what your role on any team. Now if that hasn't got you ready to dive into this show nothing will but it's a wonderful book it's a best-selling book and we're so lucky to have one of the co-authors with us today none other than marina nitza marina welcome to the show
1: thanks so much for having me excited to be here
0: now uh thank you for writing this book i think bureaucracy needs to go in the garbage but we can never get rid of it Uh, and so giving us the tools to to hack it, to, to be able to get stuff done is remarkable. What led you to write the book? Uh,
1: so I used to work in the federal government here in the United States. And so as did my co-author, Nick, who was actually my first boss uh, in the government. And I came into that, which is right, one of the largest, worst bureaucracies in the world, imagining that it was impossible to make change, that everything would take a million years. And I was really surprised to look around and discover that I was wrong. And I was surrounded by people who were making pretty monumental changes at a relatively fast clip. And I wanted to understand more about how that worked. And they were very um, open about their strategies, but they were very specific tactics that I had not really been familiar with. And so then I tried using them myself when I went on to become the chief technology officer of our Department of Veterans Affairs, which is our largest federal agency after the Defense Department. And they kept working. And then I kept learning from other people that were getting stuff done and it kept working. And so Nick and I had a list that we would literally share with our new hires of tactics that could work. Uh, and that's what ultimately came to this book. And then in the course of writing the book, we tried it uh, in a variety of additional environments. So we, it's worked in you know the highest echelons of the American government. It's also worked at condo associations. It's also worked at schools. It's also worked in hospitals and small workplaces. So it's really these tactics, they don't all work all the time, but one of them should work in any given situation.
0: Mm. And that's what I love about the book is that it's practical application in any industry. I too have had a stint in uh, government and uh, I, I think the external view is that governments are slow, they're bureaucratic and change is a word you talk about, not something that you do. But it, it is absolutely possible, uh, as you as you attest to, to, to make changes at pace within government. You You, you just have to know how to to hack the bureaucracy, to use your terms. So um, I'm wondering, what's your favorite bureaucracy hack- hacking tactic?
1: Yeah, so it was hard to choose because there's 56 in the book. But um, I would say my favorite, which I continue to use all day, every day in my current life, is looking between the silos. So I think we're all probably familiar with you know, a, a bureaucracy of any size starts getting siloed teams, siloed decision makers, siloed departments, and those silo teams, it almost feels like they have sentries posted on the outside that are there to defend against anybody coming in and looking around and trying to make change. Uh, and often I've seen people fail pretty explosively because they go right at the heart of the problem, right at the team that's, that's in charge. And again, that team is well defended and they know how to stop your, your changes, but the handoffs between the teams are where there is often rich opportunity space that is completely undefended and, and not understood at all. And so what I really encourage is whatever space you're in, commercial, public sector, nonprofit, um, take a process that you're frustrated with and follow it in inc- incredible detail from start to finish. If it's an application form, if it's a sale, if it's a complaint process, right? And, and don't do this abstractly. You want to really follow a real person or a claim or an application through. And in the course of doing that, you're going to see the different handoffs between the silos. And that's where you might have a bunch of aha moments. Again, I feel like I do just about every day. And I, people consider this to be almost my like secret professional weapon in my day now where I'm a crisis engineer. But I'm telling you freely, this is the same thing that I do everywhere, which is follow the process and then look at the handoffs because you may find incredible opportunities to make changes or transformations or delete steps or add steps um, with almost no resistance. And I'll tell one quick story here. So I was helping uh, one of the states in the United States streamline the way they were licensing foster parents. And to do this, it took hundreds of days to finish this process. And during those hundreds of days, there were kids, babies that were sleeping on the floor of the office, Waiting for their grandparent or their aunt or their uncle to get through this paperwork process. So, very, very high stakes. And, you know, people were very reticent to make change because change could mean, you know, safety issues or lawsuits. It's very, very scary. So, I followed this, a real application, all the way through, start to finish. It went to the mail room. I went to the mail room. It went to a fax machine. I went to the other side of the fax machine. And at one point, it took me to this woman's desk, and her job was to request that grandparent's driving record from the state and she complained about this step to me the whole time oh my god marina this the driving department they live in like the 20, the 19th century it's like they have a horse and buggy they're making me fill out carbon copy forms like the paper that you press really hard on and the multiple layers i have to mail it in the mail i have to use a stamp like what is this is awful i i hate this and i did what that woman was not empowered to do but which i encourage everybody listening to do which is i went to the driving records department And I said, show me how you're fulfilling this request. And the woman there was like, oh, no problem. I pull up my electronic system. I click here and here and I send it back within about an hour. And I was like, well, wait a minute. Where does the carbon copy paper fit in? And she was like, oh, my God, were you at child welfare? Those people live in the 19th century. They keep sending me this carbon copy form when they could be emailing it me like the rest of everybody else. So I immediately introduced these two women. And within one hour, we had shaved... 32 days off the process of becoming a foster parent because we eliminated this carbon copy step in the mail, et cetera. And and you may be shocked to find how many things like that are happening all the time because nobody's job is to own the end-to-end process. Everybody's job is to own the parts inside their silo. So really encourage you to, my favorite one all the time, just because it's such a rich source of change and opportunity is looking between the silos
0: it's uh it's phenomenal to think that you can shave 32 days off a process simply by walking the steps out and and asking the obvious question around why are you doing what you're doing in the step or where in this in the example you shared you know that frustration where they were both calling each other as if they were from the 1920s um, uh, which which is hilarious but uh really amplifies the, the, the power of just taking the time. I think that's the other thing, right? Like you, you, you mentioned not everyone owns the end-to-end process. Um, the, in your example, the individual wasn't empowered to go and ask the other side, oh. what are they doing with it? Um, yet uh, taking that step back and, and seeing what happens at each step makes, uh, makes all the difference. So I, 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 I love that, uh, there are so many examples in the book that are along those lines where it, especially coming from the customer space, especially be your own customer. Um, how does that help you uh, unlock bureaucracy to, to get things done? Do you think?
1: Yeah. So trying and being your own customer uh, or like the show Undercover Boss, where someone is going out and trying to consume your product and consume your service. And obviously depending on your industry, this can be harder or easier, you know, if you're a doctor, you can't really show up in your own emergency room pretending to have appendicitis or something. But there's lots of different ways that you can try it can really open your eyes to what your customer's experience is in ways that you can improve it, you can reduce time, you can remove friction. Um, And I think a combination of being your own customer, and then of talking to your customers. Um, And I am not as much a fan of like super structured focus groups and surveys as I am of simply going out and talking to people um, and under getting their feedback, watching them actually go through a process, fill out a form, complete a sale, you know, submit a comment, whatever they're trying to do uh, and observing and then finding ways that it may be sped up. And when you combine that with looking between the silos and understanding all the process that goes on later, you may be able to eliminate a bunch of steps entirely or change what they look like and make that customer experience that much better, that much more loyal, um, that much cheaper, whatever the incentives are that you have Um, with this understanding that just way too many people don't have, it it can be free. You can go, you know, when I was chief technology officer of the VA, I would literally sit on a bench at hospitals and talk to people. Um, You know, it it takes time, of course, but it doesn't require uh, a lot of skills or a lot of planning or a lot of expense to find a, a really a treasure trove of insights.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, well, it, other than your time, it's it's potentially free, especially yeah. if the customers are at your website And uh, the the skill of a conversation isn't a difficult one. Yeah, and yeah. and you can just ask a question and be that curious two year old. Ask why, and and then go from there. So I absolutely love that. Now, uh, in the one of the things that hit me about your book when I first picked it up was uh, when I say picked it up the digital copy but, but was uh, the, the I'm going to say the contents. it goes over two or three page, pages maybe even on four pages because there's uh, you've you've logically grouped everything and there is just so many different ways to hack the bureaucracy so uh, I, I really don't care which uh, industry you're in. I can guarantee that this book can help you. Uh, it's, it's a phenomenal work, but I'm just wondering out of all of the, the different ideas that you share, what's the most difficult to implement?
1: Yeah, so the most difficult one uh, for me and what I've observed in other people is you can't try to make the bureaucracy care. Um, and I see a lot of people fail on this because ultimately bureaucracies are entirely made of humans. But bureaucracies are not human and they can't respond to emotional arguments or pleas. And by this, I really mean, you know, let's say that you're trying to get approval for something for a change or for an order to go through or a budget or whatever it may be, there is a formal process in your bureaucracy and it might be painful and it might be long and it may be nonsensical at times, but there is a process to fill it out. And that process probably does not include uh, emotions, or even, and this is sort of a stark way to look at bureaucracy, but it's really been my experience. It often doesn't take into account the end impact at all. So, you know, I used to work at at our uh, veterans department, and then I've done a lot of work in foster care as well. And you see people make a lot of emotional pleas that, Hey, if I can't get this tool or I can't get this funding, this many children will be homeless. This many veterans will not have access to healthcare. These are very important, critical arguments, but they don't fill out the boxes on the approval form. And so, when you are facing something, when you're arguing with IT or legal or budget that you're trying to make your case, uh, I discourage folks from making the emotional, heartfelt kind of high school debate argument as much as ask the questions about what they need to make the approval or the decision. Get the form, get the approval, get the policy language, and then spend your energy and your emotions filling that out exactly. If you need to answer like ridiculous, truly ridiculous questions about IT security in order to get you know, a spreadsheet so that a bunch of kids in foster care are not homeless. Fill out the spreadsheet with a bunch of questions. Like, don't try to talk your way past it or around it because there is there is no way through a bureaucracy with emotional arguments. The way through the bureaucracy is the bureaucracy.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think in the moment, it's easy for us to get caught up with the emotional side of things, especially when you're working in uh, high-stake environments where individuals' lives are being impacted. But uh, if we can go a bit further what what i'm hearing is do the bureaucracy work the bureaucracy and then after you've got whatever it might be the the system the the approval for whatever um, then look at how you can have conversations to improve the efficiency of the bureaucracy as opposed to trying to make it care
1: yeah absolutely that Um, and that's where the talking to users trying to be your own customer that might unveil the tools or the policy changes that you need to solve the problem. But then again, uh, the emotional, the way to get the approval is the approval form. And we call this tactic, it's sort of a meta tactic in the book, which is using the bureaucracy against itself. Um, mm-hmm. Bureaucracies are fundamentally made up of policies and rules and procedures and guides. And way too often we see people with the best of intentions trying to skirt all of it. I'm gonna go around it, I'm gonna go under it. I'm gonna you know, ignore this rule this one time. That works sometimes exactly once and then the bureaucracy will spring up 10 new rules and forms and guidelines to keep it from ever happening again and so what really works better is write a new policy that codifies what you want to do update people's job descriptions so that their job is to do the thing that you want them to do change the the metrics for promotion bonus and like and bonuses and and um step upgrades so that the people are literally incentivized to do the new behavior that you want them to do, and when you do that, it feels slower. It can be frustrating, but then it takes the next person, you know, thirty years and ten times as much work to undo your change. Whereas if you just go around the bureaucracy and you try to use some duct tape spaghetti, again, it might work once, but it, nobody will be able to follow in your path. If you can't,
0: uh, if you can't beat them, join them. In other words. Uh, <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, improved probably.
0: bureaucracy yeah. for your outcome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, uh, one thing that I didn't mention uh, at the at the head of the top of the show was, shall we say, your day job, uh, and and you mentioned it very briefly uh, earlier in the episode. But today, you're a crisis engineer. Now, what is a crisis engineer?
1: Yeah, so crisis engineering is when we come into an organization that is experiencing a crisis. It could be. Uh, all the computer systems are down it could be uh a, a, your chief financial officer just quit and took all the passwords with them it could be you're you know you're on the front page of the newspaper for a new new crisis we want to get you out of the crisis and get you stronger emerging from it so whatever the cause was like let's fix the problem but let's not band-aid it or duct tape it let's create some uh use you know one of the tactics in the book is don't waste a crisis and this was really just kind of Perma crisis engineering is aha. There is a crisis. There is a moment of uh, there's a window where we will have um, access to funds or resources or changing a policy in a way that we will not, and potentially even as soon as tomorrow. How do we maximize that window so that we make changes that will prevent the next crisis from ever happening?
0: Mm. Yeah, I love that use the use the crisis to drive a wedge in that bureaucracy to to change the bureaucracy so. That hopefully you avoid the crisis ever happening again but also that you build us build back a better stronger organization um and that the crisis isn't isn't wasted i, I love that i have done a of, i've had the privilege of working in a lot of companies during crises which sounds counterintuitive, but you definitely learn a lot about uh, a whole pile of things including yourself during a crisis sure. so we I, I think that would be such an interesting role that you have as a crisis engineer, working with companies at perhaps uh, some of their most difficult times, uh, and it makes perfect sense that you tie that back into the bureaucracy and how the bureaucracy led to the crisis happening, uh, and how it can help the company change the bureaucracy. So, I'm I'm wondering whether, in your experience, though bureaucracy is is limited to big business and large government organisations or does bureaucracy creep into some of the some of the smaller businesses out there as well.
1: Yeah, we've actually gotten this question a lot as we've done book tour and in the course of writing the book, Nick and I tried to find organizations that were not bureaucracies. Uh and this even led us to interviewing like a grocery store and a pizza parlor in different places. And uh we couldn't find anything that wasn't a bureaucracy. And actually right now with my godson and reading a series of dragon young adult fiction called Wings of Fire. And the dragons in young adult fiction have bureaucracy too. So I've been sending screenshots of how their, their paperwork process is in this dragon, dragon land. Um, and so, but you can be a well-functioning bureaucracy and that's really mm-hmm. you know, our perspective. Bureaucracy is kind of like oxygen and gravity. Uh, it's there and you can dislike oxygen all that you want, but we still need it to breathe. But you can be a really well-functioning bureaucracy if you recognize that you are a bureau- bureaucracy. So you have to recognize that you have decision-making processes that people have risk and incentive frameworks and that fundamentally your organization is incentivizing certain behaviors and disincentivizing others. And if you have, for example, looking between the silos at a well-functioning bureaucracy is something that happens all the time and it shouldn't surface enormous treasure chests of insights because they're doing it so often that what it would rather be finding are like small minor things that you can catch and tweak up front. A well-functioning bureaucracy has people that own end-to-end processes and understand them and even measure them. And it's one that's very self-aware about how it makes decisions. Um, even you know, very small firms, startups with two or three people, you have bureaucracies, you have decision-making processes. They just might be the three of us get together over a beer on Friday and talk it out. That's a process. And there is nothing necessarily wrong with that process, but that can't be the process when you're 20 or 25 people because it won't scale. And so kind of just assuming things will work themselves out, which I see a lot of people do as they grow their companies, I think does not work nearly as much as kind of acknowledging the elephant in the room and then designing the bureaucracy that you want for your company and your culture.
0: So if you're designing a bureaucracy, and I doubt most of us think of that term when we're (laughs) designing out our processes and systems and, and scaling our business, but one of the one of the hints that you gave us just a moment ago was have people own the process end to end measure the process uh, for its effectiveness and and hold them accountable to that effectiveness uh, which i guess in one way means that at least you're not going to have the situation where someone's filling out uh, a form in triplicate uh, and and sending it via the post uh, although the the mail service would love the business um, what what's something else that I can do though you know I'm scaling my business I'm scaling my team I'm setting up a new team with inside an organization I've got this opportunity to do things differently I acknowledge that there's got to be a way of working a bureaucracy if you will Um, I can have people accountable and own processes end-to-end but what's a couple of other things that I should be on the lookout when I'm building this fresh new entity or scaling it
1: Yep, I think you need to make sure that there are real avenues to receive feedback and that people see feedback being received and, and acknowledged. If not, you can't always act on it, right? But uh, I'm not talking about a suggestion box or a, an online form where people submit things and they kind of go to die. And I'm not, some companies too, they have like a, an innovation box where you, sub, you you know sign up for a prize and you try to add an efficiency. I think that that makes it seem tertiary. As opposed to a core part of your business that you are, you want to be a well-functioning organization. Um, another, and this may seem slightly counterintuitive, but I, I think you need to uh, actively model being a safe place to fail. Uh, one of the tactics we talk about is defining your success metrics up front. So something that I see happen constantly in uh, ineffective bureaucracies is somebody has a pilot; they have an idea for something that they want to do to make a change. They believe fervently in this change will make things better. They do the pilot. And then the naysayers hung out in the shadows and they come out after the pilot and they say, oh, your pilot actually failed because it didn't take into account this, this thing, or like you only had 10,000, an N of 10,000. And really to be statistically significant, you need an N of a hundred thousand. And so we suggest defining success metrics upfront, which is to say, I'm going to do a pilot. And if I get 10,000 people, you know, to recommend this service at the end of the pilot, it's going to move forward. And that, so everybody gets a chance to weigh in on that upfront. And also here, are, here's our baseline metrics. If we don't even get a hundred users, we're gonna close up shop in November. And seeing people model that with behavior and then act on it means that you can create a culture where people try changes, they measure them, and then they don't live forever, which is not something that you necessarily want every pilot to do.
0: Um, yeah, that makes that makes so much sense. Uh, and, uh, looking at it through this lens makes it so much easier. I I think that's the other challenge that people could fall into is they build something and then they try to reverse engineer to achieve a functioning organisation as opposed to coming from it from the beginning. Uh, Marina, it's been absolutely excellent chatting to you today and getting to understand this hacking the bureaucracy, the, the fantastic book. Now in the show notes, we're going to leave details on how people can follow your work and of course, get a copy of the book. But I think also on your website, you have a free resource for our listeners.
1: Yeah, there's a. Uh, if you go to hackyourbureaucracy.com, we have a bunch of extra um, strategies and tactics from the book, including a download of the appendix, which is the list of all the the tactics if you need kind of a cheat sheet for hacking your next bureaucratic challenge.
0: Fantastic, well, of course, we'll make sure that we link to that in the show notes as well. But before I let you go today, What's one piece of advice, that one thing our audience members can do uh, as soon as they finish watching or listening today to really help them navigate their bureaucracy more effectively and to get things done faster?
1: Yeah, this was actually advice I was given early on when I joined the government and I didn't take, and I should have, which is you've got to go and have lunch or coffee or you know some other sort of social engagement with a bunch of people in your organization that have nothing to do with your current team or department or mission. Um, We call this cultivating the carass in the book, uh, because if you've read Cat's Cradle by Kurt Vonnegut, he coined the term carass, which is to mean uh, people hidden around the planet uh, who are designed to accomplish a goal together. And so we love to think about like in your organization, rather than thinking that there are people hidden around to slow roll you, to block you from getting resources, to tattle on you. What if there are people hidden around to help you? That you just don't realize. And in my case, some of the most valuable CARAS members I've ever had are in extremely unexpected places like the, the security guards at VA, or how I ultimately got uh, multi, multi-millions of dollars of IT budget, uh, or getting help from the executive secretary pool, who you may not realize often are the people that have the most power in any organization. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just, you know, uh, it could be people in legal, in compliance, in Uh, engineering, whatever, something that's, that's well outside your comfort zone. And that can just help you understand more about other areas of your organization, help you think about problems that you're having in different ways. Uh, and then they might be able to help you troubleshoot. They may have resources or tools or experience uh, that apply in ways you may not realize. And so going out, grabbing a cup of coffee with a a few colleagues that you don't know that are well outside your kind of zone, uh, is, is the great way to start hacking your bureaucracy.
0: Mm, fantastic way to end the show and a great reminder to create, a, create connection with people just outside of your immediate uh, sphere of, of influence and day to day work. Uh, Marina, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks so much for giving up your time and sharing your thoughts with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me. And to
0: you, the audience, thank you so much. If you've enjoyed this show, please give us five stars. Importantly, share it with a colleague or a friend. And most importantly, Do one thing from today's episode to help you get things done faster and beat bureaucracy.